So the passage we got today is an intriguing uh, one, but it's also important. There's lots of things coming together in that Bible reading which Julie has just read, and all of these things give us a view of Jesus which helps us to understand his significance and why he's still so influential 2,000 years on from when that event happened. Now, already Dave has stolen most of my sermon. No, already he's... uh, He has told us that we are looking at the Nicene Creed at the moment. We're thinking about son. Think about the phrase, really, we believe in Jesus. It's a massive phrase, um, but not quite at the beginning of the creed, this, because this is the game-changing phrase, I think, in the creed. It starts off, we believe in God, and we can, lots of people accept the idea of God and creator God. But here, we're going a bit more specific, and it is more dangerous. The I believe in Jesus, we believe in Jesus, is the unique selling point of Christianity. It's what makes Christianity so different from everything else and other faiths. Jesus in the creed, Jesus in our faith, is the game changer. When we utter the phrase, I believe in Jesus, we're saying so much more about the God we believe in. It's provocative, it's intriguing, and it's the central part of what we believe. No Jesus, no Christianity, no Sunday worship, no P's and G's, and I'm out of a job. And it's passages like the one we've got today, which are so important for us who live in the West, part of the world which would perhaps find it convenient if we stopped all this belief stuff, especially in Jesus. When we say, I believe in Jesus, we are saying something extraordinarily significant about our worldview. We are challenging our culture, its values, its hopes and dreams, and we are saying we are heading in a different direction. And it's passages like the one we've got today which reveals Jesus in a magnificent and divine way. Also, it reveals him as a very regular, get-alongable kind of person. This week is a momentous week, as we've already discussed in that really great interview, Neil, thank you, um, uh, um, for the UK. It's a momentous week. General elections are always important, and for me, and my 48 years, no other general election seems to be as significant as this one coming up. And like the passage, I'm going to be a bit cheesy here, but like the passage, um, I think we here in Scotland are up on a mountain, bear with me, and we are being witnesses to a momentous event. We've got the old guard of labour coming out like Moses and encouraging us to remember how great and important they were. We invented the NHS and all of that. Then we've got the new guard of the SNP coming out like Elijah and offering this prophetic view of how great Scotland could be in the future. We can end austerity and all that. So Nicola and Jim are up on the mountain offering us two alternatives and realities, and we're sucked in to think, which side are we on on this mountain? Now, I don't think like Peter, uh, well, Neil might be, but many of us will be tempted uh, to build shelters and stay up in this place, unless you are a complete election junkie and are going to stay up all night on election night. How many of us? 
fair few, I think. Uh, but it does feel a very life-changing time. But you see, the radical thing is, when you say, when we all say, I believe in Jesus, you realise it's not just Nicola Sturgeon and Jim Murphy up there on the mountain. Jesus is up there too. We are saying, when we say, I believe in Jesus, he's at the heart of everything, of what it means to be human. And that means he is at the heart of this election, no matter what any sort of commentator says on this. And a view of Jesus like this encourages us, and I'm so glad Neil said what he said, was to pray for our nation and our political leaders and our place in the world. View Jesus like this, and our thoughts go beyond national politics and security, that promises, uh, all those promises that of real security, which these politicians are making, to the security of the promises which being a citizen of the kingdom of God offer. A view of Jesus like this means we stop voting for ourselves and our own private views and private gain, but instead we vote for our neighbours and what's best for the community and what's best for the world. So all I can do this offer you as a piece of advice for this Thursday is to say please take Jesus with you like Neil does into the ballot box on Thursday. Now we're all going to choose in different ways and that's completely fine. Fine, but don't neglect the Jesus part of you as you work it out. However, let's just go back up to that mountain of 2,000 years ago, the mountain of Matthew 17. Let's see how this helps us to believe in Jesus. Because Tom Wright recognises this is event is recorded in such detail in Matthew, Mark and Luke's Gospel, it must be reasonable to assume that this event actually happened. And certainly for Peter, the events on this mountain were so significant for him that later on in his life, as he was nearing the end of his life, he wrote a letter to Peter and he reflected and he said this, he said, He, meaning Jesus, received honour and glory from God the Father when a voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves, says Peter, heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. This is a really important event in the life of Jesus. And this event only came to light, really, after his resurrection, because Peter, James, and John kept it secret, as they're asked to by uh, Jesus in verse 9. But when you put this transfiguration event alongside the resurrection, it really helps us to get behind Jesus and see how completely he has come and changed the world. So, Bible's open. I'll just quickly sort of try and run through the passage. Jesus, quite simply in the passage, takes Peter, James and John and they climb a mountain. There's a few suggestions by commentators about which mountain. They, commentators love this. Let's surmise which mountain it is. They, they take set squares and everything and binoculars up these mountains and say, oh, it must be this one and that one. None of them really have a clue which one it is, but it sells books, so, uh, you know, and it gets them richer. Nobody knows which the mountain is, but there is a mountain with the Church of the Transfiguration on top of it, so that must be the one. Good clues. Anyway, on this mountain, anyway, Jesus is transfigured and his appearance changes I love this. One dictionary describes transfiguration as, wait for it, a makeover. So Jesus has a makeover on this hill. He has a change 
of appearance, a change of form, a metamorphosis occurred. He shone, he glowed, light surrounded him. And in these amazing moments, time and space stood still and Moses and Elijah joined him. I am the light of the world was illuminated. And this is my words in this, something brilliant. It says, this is an inedible occurrence. I meant incredible occurrence. This is a completely incredible occurrence. In these moments, everything was coming together. History, salvation, glory, and hope. When I say, or when we say, we believe in Jesus, we say something very strong. We say that life is more than we think it is. We say there's a connection of heaven and earth. There's more. It's mysterious and sometimes unexplainable. But Jesus points us to a reality beyond here and now. He gives us a taste of the now and not yet kingdom. And that can be a really complicated place to exist. And it can be frustrating. And I'm finding it frustrating this week. And we've already touched on it in the service. But if we think completely about Nepal at the moment, um, if we think about it, I'm frustrated when I think of how all of this works out. Because I know, know you just need to see the news. We've seen some amazing rescues this week. And I, I know, you can see it, you just read about it in the papers. We've seen the best of humanity in action in Nepal with all the aid and the resource and the love which is pouring into that place. But equally, it is completely difficult to understand why events like this happen. And why does it always seem to happen to the most vulnerable communities in the world? It's as if God is completely there in his love, but we still have this question of suffering to deal with, and we can't ever just push it under the carpet, and it's a consequence of this now and not yet kingdom. But Jesus in these moments on the mountain is showing his three disciples a reality which is beyond this, and it's a good reality. And Peter, as he does, especially loves it. Of course he does. It's completely brilliant what's happening on this mountain. Peter often gets maligned for, for this state thing about offering to build shelters in verse 4. And commentators go on. It just shows he wanted to stay up the mountain, etc., etc. I, I don't really know about that. But all I know is I love him for it. I love the fact that he offered to build shelters up there. This man is completely nuts and he's completely brave and he's not afraid of making a fool of himself. And, and he just, that's who he is. He's quite spontaneous. I know a little later on he's going to completely muck it up when he sort of denies Jesus. But here he is, in my book, being fantastic. I often wish I could be more like Peter like this. I timidly worry about what people will think of me if I make big statements like Peter but I think the world would be a better place if there was more spontaneity and stepping out like Peter. Remember, because of his bravery and uh, his love of Jesus, he was the only disciple who walked on water. He was able to experience a whole load more of Jesus because he was prepared to do daft things like put up shelters for people. His foolishness gave him incredible moments of joy. And I often think we miss out because we overthink things or we don't want to make a fool of ourselves or being a coward seems the best option or thinking it through a little bit more seems the prudent way. 
let's forget doing the cautious approach every now and then. Because then we perhaps get to see God in action in the most extraordinary way. Because look what, what happens in response to Peter. This is what happens in response to Peter. He and James and John experienced a theophany. The fullness of God surrounded him. So he might have been nuts, but being nuts gave him the fullness of God. In verse 5, he said something daft, and then he experienced the completeness of God. So when we say, I believe in Jesus, we enter into a world like that of Peter, James, and John. We enter into a world where we can fully experience God, maybe even a theophany. It's not that this kind of experience goes on for long. It's not that this kind of experience happens every day to us or that it's in every moment of our beings. But it can happen and it does change things. And when it does, it changes our world forever. Happened to me when I was 18 because when I was 18, in desperation, I called out to God, making a fool of myself, crying in front of God. And all I received back from him was the most incredible cloud of love and acceptance and forgiveness. And I was able to meet with him. And I glimpsed him on my journey from time to time up to now being 48. So 38 years later, I glimpsed him. But all I needed was that moment when I was 18. That fueled me for the rest of my life. I met with Jesus in a most dynamic way. Now, I know that's not everyone's experience, but when we say, I believe in Jesus, we are opening ourselves up for the most deep encounters and miracles and extraordinary experiences of God's love. And in this dynamic moment, when they had this theophany, when God was completely revealed to them, God chose to speak. And in these moments... God changed everything. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is the changing of the guard in these moments. This is the movement away from the world of Moses and Elijah to the world of Jesus. No longer is the law of Moses in the Old Testament going to dominate. It's now all about Jesus. So the way of grace, love and acceptance is born. It was there in the Old Testament but it completely came through in Jesus. No longer is it going to be about us impressing God but God impressing us. It's not about what I do but about what Jesus does. Saddest Christians, and I, I'm sad to say I do meet a lot of Christians like this, are the ones who forget that Jesus is, that Jesus is here, that it's all about Jesus now. Those Christians who want to sort of go back to the security blanket of the Old Testament, which gave you rules, and it, and it was much easier because we know what those rules are. When that happens, when you go back and think, oh, I've got to complete that and keep that for God to bless me, we completely miss the reason of it all, Jesus. Jesus has come, he's set us free, he's here, and rather than keeping the rules, we have new buzzwords like joy, freedom, acceptance, release, healing, forgiveness, and grace. And these are words which people in our world need to hear. 
In these moments on the mountain, a new way was born. The emphasis was moved away from the Lord towards Jesus. When we say, I believe in Jesus, we say, actually, it's not about selfish little old me who's failing trying to do this. It's actually about something much bigger and much more impressive. But it wasn't just a new way which was happening up here. The promise of God was released. Elijah, representing the prophets of old, showed this. What had been promised for so long, for years and years, there's going to be a Messiah, there's going to be a Saviour. What had been promised for 500, 600, 700 years was here on the mountain. For years and years, the prophets had banged on about how there was going to be change. And that change was on the mountain. The promise was Jesus. So up the mountain, God was making a huge statement. The focus is to change and The focus is now to be on Jesus, and that focus starts in this moment. I love Pete Gregg and his 24-7 prayer movement. Our prayer rooms, which we have from time to time, are all based on that. And and the thing I completely love about Pete Gregg and the 24-7 prayer movement is he says, talks about the vision of, of what it's all about, and he says, the vision is Jesus. It's as simple as that. The vision is Jesus, and that is exactly what God is doing here. He is saying, on this mountain, the vision is Jesus. We no longer have to wait. We no longer have to get ourselves ready. Jesus is here. I love uh, discussions we have on our staff team. Um, and a, a common discussion is, because we, we, we long for worship here to be... Uh, Brilliant is all I can say. We, we, we want it to be, a, we want peace and G's when you come and worship here, Sunday by Sunday, to be a place where you, you completely meet with God. It's a deep and profound experience. We love, we long, we just want that to be uh, peace and G's. And often we, we speak about it. How can we get people to really worship, we say? They're always late and all this type of stuff. How can we get them to worship? It takes them ages to warm them up and everything. And what song, what song's going to do it? We'll talk about, we've got a list of songs which we know we play and you'll be on your, no, we, don't, we haven't got, but we wish we did. We, we, we wish we had prayers, we, we, you know, we could say a prayer and everyone would be completely, uh, rec- uh, completely ready for worship. But the thing is, that's a completely nonsense discussion, and we know it is, theologically, it's a totally rubbish discussion, because actually we do not need any warm-ups or any special prayers or any special music or anything like that to connect with Jesus and to worship him anymore. There's no special route in, because we can just get completely right stuck in. In fact, if we are living our lives as Jesus wants, our whole life becomes an act of worship. So we just bring our worship with us to church and we just continue worshipping with everyone else because no longer do we need special approaches to worship anymore. We don't need to do all of that type of stuff because Jesus has sorted it. We don't need to get ourselves ready in the most profound and deep way because Jesus is here and we can just worship because we are completely free to do that. It's completely accessible for us to do. Jesus doesn't need to bring any special blessing to this meeting to make it any more deep and profound. He doesn't need to bring any special blessing to Scotland to mean that people worship any better or whatever. We can just 
get on and we can just do it. And he loves it and he longs for us just to glance towards him and tell him, I believe in you, Jesus. I worship you. Thank you that you've made me and you've put me here, warts and all, to be in your presence. You are a wonderful God. So Peter, James and John up this mountain, their minds are blown. They've just witnessed Jesus in the most incredible way. They've just witnessed the old and the new collide. And they've just seen history change forever up on that mountain. They are as high as can be on that mountain. They are never going to have an experience quite like this again. But down they come. And you, as you journey down the hills, if you're anything like me, you start to chat to the people you're with. And you start to rationalize. And because Jesus was with them, you know, they thought they would be good and they'd talk about theology. And they had a big discussion about some detail about Elijah coming or not. And Jesus says something very important in verses 11 and 12. He says, to be sure, that's his Irish sort of connection, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they didn't recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished, in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. This could be summarized, the first part of that could be summarized as don't miss it, because, you know, we, we see things, we have things major happen in our lives, and then we think we've got to rationalize it. But I think what Jesus is saying is don't miss it, don't get bogged down in the details and all the discussions don't, you know, don't be distracted from what is really happening here. Don't look for the detail when the answer is right there in front of you. Don't miss the wood from the trees. I find this completely challenging because the thing is, I think we are missing it. We, as the church in Scotland, I think as the church in the West, are missing it. Every time the church becomes obsessed by a detail or a point of order or some minutiae of theology or trying to get people to behave in a certain way and do certain things. Um, even though all of those things can be completely important, when we become obsessed by them, we miss it. And the reason I know we're missing it is because I see the church in Scotland, I'm talking about Scotland here, is fragmenting yet again. And because of that, less and less people start taking Christianity seriously you know, Jesus wants his church to be one, and what do we do? We split up. It seems completely mad. And uh, so what happens is the church's voice becomes less and less in the community. Now, as a Christian, I must say, if you read Scripture, you should expect to be pushed to the sidelines. That's part of the package. Jesus does warn us quite clearly. But often, we are our own worst enemy. When I say I believe in Jesus. When we say we believe in Jesus, we are saying that we believe in a God who can transform us completely. We are saying that good news now can dominate our lives. We are saying there's another way of grace and love and forgiveness. And the thing which disappoints me is we are in danger of losing that. 
Even P's and G's, this, I think we're just about the biggest church in Scotland, might be wrong, but even our church, which, you know, it is completely fantastic, but, but even this church, which since I've been here with Vanessa and Dean now James and everything, and even with Dave here, you know, for years and years, it has grown and it's grown. I'm completely worried about Vanessa moving because I think then, anyway, we can, we can worry about that another time. But, <laughs> but, you know, we find it. We find it hard to talk about Jesus. We find it hard to tell the story of Jesus. Very few people, actually, if you look at P's and G's, very few people become Christians through our ministry. Proportionately, people do, and we love it that you become Christians. It's completely wonderful. Uh, I think our main skill as a church is we are really good at keeping people going in the faith. That's why we're growing, because people come to us because they need encouraging. They need to hear about the story of grace, and they need to put that in their life. And they're encouraged, and that's completely fantastic. But we are poor at introducing people to the faith and helping them to become Christians. And the thing is, we need to change, and we need to be more confident in this, because If we're not going to do it, who else is going to do it? Seriously, who else? If there's only 3% of people in church or 5% or whatever, it's pathetic, whatever it is, who else is going to do it? Who else is going to change it? It's not going to be me or Dave or just the clergy at the front. It's got to be us, all of us working together. Things like soul food, completely brilliant. I love it. Alpha, amazing. It's amazing. But these are only sort of things, these are only tools to, to help us. Um, they're not, um, the, the challenge which we've got to go on is much deeper than just throwing on a few events. We've got to start being confident in talking about Jesus. We've got to move beyond the packaging to discovering a, a genuine way of talking about Jesus to our friends and our community about Jesus. Have confidence, my wonderful friends here at Peace and G's, in Jesus. If you don't remember anything else in the sermon, have confidence in Jesus. He finishes off this passage by bringing the disciples back to earth with a bump because he goes and points to another mountain. There's no bright lights and theophany on this mountain. There's pain and suffering and anguish and death on this other mountain. But the mountain where Jesus died on the cross it actually is the mountain where all this stuff on top of this mountain becomes real. It's the reason why we're all here today, and it's the reason why we say in our creed, we believe in Jesus. The real glory of Jesus is on this other mountain. It's the mountain where he shouts his empathy with those who are suffering, especially those in Nepal at the moment. It's the mountain which forces us to take our verse Uh, our vote on Thursday so seriously that we try and vote for the place where maximum love can be the story of Scotland. It's the mountain which pulls us back to the reality. And that reality is Jesus. I believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. Amen.